The playoff picture is set in the American Association and the Frontier League is not far behind. There's a new coat of paint on some teams, but you're going to have to wait to hear about all of it on this episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. All right, we are back again, episode number 131, according to what I have written down right here. And let me tell you, it's a jam-packed show. We got like some off-the-field news that's actually kind of interesting. And then we have, obviously, a lot of playoffs to discuss uh, today on this show. I'm Nick, he's Will, and we're going to get into the meat of the news now. We've been talking about the playoff picture for so long, it's finally exciting to get a lot of clarity on it, especially in, especially in the American Association with, of course, some, some playoff games already in the books. It's, it's a jam-packed show, like you said. A lot of Frontier League, American Association talk, and, uh, you know, the coat of paint that you definitely came up with on the fly in your intro. I'm telling you, that was on the fly. I'm telling you, it just came into my head. It was like, yeah, it's basically a fresh coat of paint for most of You didn't of these even things. think about it nah. before you came on? Nah. I'm just like that. Let's talk about the coat of paint, though, so that way we can get through it, and then we can talk about actual baseball, and we can make every uh, Herm Edwards fan very happy because we're going to be talking about playoffs after these rebrands. So, playoffs? Yeah, we're talking about playoffs. Me? These teams actually made the playoffs. They're better than the Jets. <laughs> Low bar, yes, but any case. So we're going to open up with the first of the rebrands. The one that's probably gotten the most uh, diversive response. Um, West Virginia announced that they will be doing a rebrand. Uh, this was announced on Thursday. This is no real surprise. I think everyone that's been paying attention can tell they were planning on moving on from the power branding, which just really never, I don't think it really ever took root. And we know that the new name will be two words, five letters, as though we're playing charades, and it will have Charleston in the name. So it'll be Charleston and then the to be determines after that. Now, you can also guess the name if you'd like to try on the website. And if you guess correctly, you are entered in with all the other correct guesses to win two season tickets, a jersey, and a hat. Now, I'm going to do everyone that's listening a favor because... In the one article that you'll link, it actually sends uh, another link, I suppose a supporting source, to, I want to say it's the West Virginia Copyright Office. So it has all your copyrights and all your trademarks. And the three names that are trademarked or copyrighted by the uh, Charleston Baseball LLC, which is the obviously the group that owns the West Virginia Power slash to be renamed Charleston Club. And the three names are... The Dirty Birds, River Toads, and Redneck. Or re- not Rednecks. The Roughnecks. <laughs> and the Roughnecks. Do not cut that. Do not cut that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that is a great one. Yeah. I think they should go with the Rednecks. I think that's a good name. Yeah, oh, I, th- I think it really, I think it speaks to the community well. It definitely does. I don't know why you wouldn't go with that one. Uh, but yeah, so Dirty Birds, River Toads, and Roughnecks are the three options. A lot of people having seen Dirty Birds did not like that. 
Then they released a logo that kind of looks like a uh, a more cartoony coloring book version of the Sioux Falls Canary logo, which does make sense seeing as the bird is a canary, since, you know, kind of canary in the coal mine, which, I mean, I'm not sure if that's saying something you want to associate with your team, but, you know, to each their own. Personally, I'm a fan of Roughnecks. I understand that you probably want to have kind of a happy medium between like a really traditional sports team name and something that's more family friendly, kid friendly. So I think River Totes is kind of like a happy median here. That just seems like the kind of thing you should go with because it just seems significantly better than the Dirty Birds, which I just think of like, okay, Atlanta. Yeah, not a fan of Dirty Birds at all. Yeah. Uh, I think River Toads is a, it's a decent idea. Why not the Charleston Charlies, though? So that's a fun name. That's a fun story. So the, and just before I jump into that story, uh, the formal change will happen on September 28th. I believe that's a double header, and they'll come out in game two with the new uniform and branding and everything like that. But so the Charlies won the fan vote they held throughout the year. I believe it started in June and then just wrapped up now. And it got 36% of the vote. And this is just random submissions. This is a fill-in-the-blank type submission, not like a multiple-choice type deal. If you notice in the logo, the baseball is smoking something. That's a cigar. And the team felt as though that was not very family-friendly in 2021. Now, to which I will say, there is nothing saying you have to keep the original logo. You can change the logo and keep the team name. And everybody will still be the same. You can modernize the logo. That's not an issue. Yeah, I, I understand that, but but as you said, if it's if it's such an if, if you really need to redo the logo, redo the logo. I mean, a lot of people want the Charleston Charlies in a fill in the blank format. I feel like that's what you should be going with. Yeah, um, and I understand you don't want someone smoking a cigar as your logo. But you can just always change the logo. Um, I agree with the need to change the name. Yeah. I was in the West Virginia Power. I never thought that was really going to stick. Uh, and that was really going to stick as an indie ball name in, in the Atlanta, as an Atlantic League name. I don't really see that. But I, I think the Charleston Charlies would have been so good to change to permanently. And I'm kind of disappointed they didn't. And the other aspect of this that I'm not sure I loved about how they handled the whole rebrand, they teased an announcement for a while. Yeah. And then the announcement was, we're, re we're rebranding, but didn't tell you the name. Yeah. It's, it's really like, okay, we're going to be doing this huge thing, but we're only going to give you a little bit at a time. Like, if that's what the plan was, kind of drop subtle hints and clues along the way as to what it's going to be. Like, that's a better way to kind of build up this whole expectation, anticipation of this brand new team and everything, as opposed to just doing whatever they did, which is like leaving me playing a game of Hangman. Exactly, exactly. I'm not, I don't know. It just, it's not how a lot of other teams have done theirs. If you're going to rebrand and change your name, or and and I understand like that there's like a season ticket giveaway involved, and that's all good, but I I just wish that everyone, pretty much everyone, knew that they were going to change the name and they weren't going to be the West Virginia Power next year. 
And so just saying the big announcement and then saying what we already knew is, I don't know, it, it's quite a bit of a, a letdown. Yeah, in, in my in my view, so it certainly is. I'm, I'm, disa- I'm disappointed about the Charlies, and I don't love how they did the announcement in general. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people not liking the whole Dirty Birds name and logo are coming from. I think they're just very disappointed that they didn't get uh, the Charlies and that logo back here. And what I don't understand is if the smoking the cigar thing is an issue, then why are you still using that logo and plan to use that logo? for throwback nights and sell merchandise with the throwback logo. Like, I understand the, the thought process is, well, if we only have that as a logo and that's our primary logo, then people won't have other options to buy. If that's just a throwback, then there's other options on the table here. But again, there's ways around that. You can easily, again, design other supplementing logos around it that maybe it's just a couple of interlocking C's or it's a stylized version of a baseball that has two C's hidden in it. There's other ways where you can get creative and design your way out of that problem. And not to mention here, I think a large chunk of the problem is when you look at the logo, and I believe it's linked in the article. If not, it's not terribly far off, and I'll find another link to to put in the show notes for that with the picture of the logo. But it's just so cartoony. And to go from something that people really want to something that people were probably lukewarm on at best, and then to really just kind of cartoon it up when you see other leagues, like we're going to talk about in a second with Winnipeg, go the complete opposite way. And you see a lot more of these kind of recent logos that don't really seem to be cartoony. They seem to be much more of a traditional type logo where it's like, okay, this is a sports team, not anything else. And I think there's just like that overall sense of disappointment mixing with uh, with what they got for a lot of people that really makes this disappointing. And like you said, well, the method they rolled it out, it's extremely weird too. And I'm sure that's not really earning too much goodwill. Although I think I was saying this last night on Twitter that was, you know, in the end, I don't think the name's really going to matter all that much for the vast majority of people going to the power park or whatever they're going to call it now, I guess. They can't take Birdcage. That's already taken in Sioux Falls. But that's another issue. Uh, I think most people just don't care about that. And I think the people that are complaining are still going to go out and buy merchandise and buy things and go see games here. But they're going to do it with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I just It seemed like an, an obvious decision to go with Charlie's and they just didn't do it. Yeah. And and that's, that's the thing. I mean, I thought it was... You're right. They... they they're still selling merchandise with the logo that they claim is so controversial. So something, something's not adding up here. And I think I, as long as a lot of fans of the power really wanted it to be Charleston Charlie's and, and I I don't think it's, you're right when you said, I don't think it's really going to matter which one they end up picking because it's just not the Charleston Charlie's. Yeah. So with that, we'll go to the other Atlantic League team with branding news. The Staten Island to be determined unveiled the name finalists. Uh, they're going to wrap up the vote at the end of September. They'll announce it sometime in October. Uh, most of these, I'm going to tell you in advance, are heavily first responder, frontline worker, maritime based. Makes sense for Staten Island. And so the following are your seven name finalists. The Harbor Heroes, Dragon Slayers, Fairy Hawks, Responders, 
frontliners, watchdogs, and green belters. So uh, most of them obviously, you know, they pertain to Staten Island. The ones that are maybe a bit surprising as to how they relate. Green belters refers to kind of the middle part of Staten Island that's apparently heavily filled with parks and other greenery. Um, and then Dragon Slayers is the other one that's kind of like, okay, what does this have to do with anything? Uh, that, I believe, relates back to, at least from what I read, uh, St. George or a Roman soldier that supposedly killed dragons. And then there's also kind of an indirect tie into, I guess, Game of Thrones with dragons and things like that as well. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be any sort of major deciding factor on that name. Uh, you can vote for which one you want. We'll have a link for that vote in the show notes if you want to vote. Uh, if not, then hey, we just touched that name. So, what are our thoughts on these names? So, I don't mind the first responder emphasis. Um, I don't know. I think I would almost rather have that for specific nights instead of a, an entire team in general. Yeah. I think as far as the ones... I definitely do not like. Yeah. I don't know. The, a team being named the responders or the frontliners. Yeah. It just sounds too like, generic and not really well thought out. Um, the green belters. I'm not a huge fan of, uh, I'll, but the team, the ones and, and the, dra- the dragon slayers kind of just seems cartoonish to me. Yeah. I'll tell you the two I really like. Is I really like the I, I kind of like the Watchdogs. Okay. And I'm a big fan of the Fairy Hawks. Same. I'm a. I agree with you 100. I'm a big fan of the Fairy Hawks because, like, to me, that's the only one that really sounds like a team name. The rest of them yes. just they don't. And I this is like bad timing to say this, and it's not going to exactly be the most popular. But I, I'm going to hopefully explain myself enough to where this isn't an issue. I just feel like the emphasis on a lot of the frontline workers with names like frontliners, responders, harbor heroes to a lesser extent. Like that kind of emphasis on a lot of these names, I think is kind of amped up by the pandemic. And I feel like it's not going to have as much staying power when we're five, six years removed from this. And we're going to wonder, why was a team called the responders? Why was a team called the frontliners? Like these are just names that I just, I'm curious to know if the current state of the greater Staten Island area and world as a whole had a heavy effect on those names in particular being chosen. And I feel like going with something like a Fairy Hawks or even like a Green Belt which has been growing on me when I read why that name was there. It directly relates to the Staten Island experience that's always present. It's always there. It's 100% constant. And as a result of that, I feel like those are better choices and I mean, if we're being honest, all the first responder ones or frontline worker ones, they're not exactly Stan Island specific either. You could put a team anywhere and name them after local first responders. That's nothing really special. You want something that's directly special to the area without being over the top cartoony, like say Dirty Birds. While Fairy Hawks maintains kind of like that, okay, we're referencing the Stan Island Fairy. And, I mean, there's a lot of birds and stuff around that, but a hawk's a powerful animal. It's a common kind of thing in naming schemes. And overall, I'm, uh, I am really do like fairy hawks. I think that is by far the best one. Yeah, you wonder how the first responder ones would age. <clears throat> and I think that's 
and that's my main issue with it as well. Um, and I, I just don't love the idea of a team being named full time something like that. It doesn't really it yeah. doesn't really sound like a team. I question five years down the line when like the excitement for like a new team in Staten Island is kind of waning and you still want the staying power of a uh, of a team name to really be there. I just I don't I don't think it's I don't think those names really do it. I don't mind I like the watchdogs though, because I guess it's kind of kind of has a first responder ish kinda um, yeah. A little bit. But the Fairy Hawks I, I think just makes too much sense. It's Staten Island centric. It sounds good. Um, you could make a pretty good logo off of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I think out of the choices, I think Fairy Hawks seems like almost the easy one, and it seems like a lot of other people are a big fan of that. Yeah, are a big fan of Fairy Hawks as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think that there's a way where, especially because the the Atlantic League does play longer than the other leagues, where you could work these other names in there as well, like. I could definitely see you doing a Dragon Slayer type night for maybe like, uh, maybe more like a fantasy night, like more of a fairy tale night. Dragon Slayers would be a very cool name for that. For nights where you're honoring first responders, like a lot of teams do throughout the year, Frontliners would work for that. Responders would work for that. Harbor Heroes would work for that. I I like those as promotional names. I like Fairy Hawks as your permanent name. I agree with you 100% well on that. Anywho, we got one more logo to go through. Winnipeg, they're revamping their logo. So we kind of know the traditional block W with the little kind of cartoon goldfish. That's or not goldfish, uh, gold eye, gold eye fish, I guess. That normally is there with the bat and the hat and the jersey. That's all gone. And its place is now a much more stylized version. There's a fish in there, a hidden G, also a hidden baseball in there. And... Uh, at one point in the G, it kind of overlaps on itself. It's supposed to symbolize uh, like the rivers by Winnipeg. There's a lot of symbolism in there. There's a full breakdown of it on the Winnipeg site. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to try and describe it because, as we've said before, describing logos and jerseys on a visual medium is incredibly difficult, so we're not even going to attempt it because we won't do it justice. But, um, yeah, it's a much more modernized version so just uh, quickly what are we thinking on that logo i think it's sleek I, i'm a big fan of it honestly I, I think that the the logo needed a little bit of a refresh and to be honest with you I, i'm a big fan of it i think i think it's creative i think it's not too far removed from like the gold eyes old logo uh and so i i like it because you, you kept some of the same features but at the same time, it does look more sleek. It does look more modern. Um, I, I'm a big fan of it, honestly. I, I, I really like it. See, for me, it just doesn't feel like a baseball logo. Like, it feels like kind of the logo you'd see for, like, a law firm or a restaurant or something that's more of a business than baseball is, where baseball is a very fan side business. It's a very. You think? Yeah, I just I don't look at that and go, yep, that's a baseball team's logo. Like, I know there's a baseball in there, but it just it doesn't feel like a baseball logo to me. Like, it's not bad per se, but it's just compared to what they had before. I, I like the old one better. 
maybe it grows on me over time, but I just, overall, I don't like that kind of, like, sleeker, modern type look they're going for. That's just not a style I like, personally. So, perhaps that's just it, but, yeah, that's, I'm just not that big of a fan of it, personally. I mean, I, I, I think it's, again, there, like you, like, as you mentioned, there's a, uh, I mean, there is a baseball in the middle. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think it's. I think it looks. I think it looks better than their old one, honestly. I just there's something about it. I just, I just don't look at it and go, yeah, that feels like a baseball logo. That like that just doesn't feel like a logo that I'd want to put on a hat or put on a shirt and walk around with. I just it's eh. It just doesn't. It doesn't do it for me. I I don't know why. It's just I don't. I don't particularly care for it. Right, with that, let's actually talk about real American Association baseball instead of logos and things like that because it was a bit of a busy week. And that uh, when we last signed off on Saturday night, Lincoln looked like they, practically speaking, had this. Seeing as they had two games against the Apollos and they were in a real great position. And then Sioux City threw a no-hitter. Lincoln dropped two to Houston, including getting shut out on the last day of the season after Sioux City then lost the following day after the no-hitter. So Lincoln simply had to win that game and they would have been in. And then they got shut out by the Houston Apollos. How about that? Yikes. It's not great. I mean, Good for the Apollos. I mean, can you yeah. imagine how excited they were? Yeah, like I like the silence we had there for a second while we're trying to put everything together on that. But yeah, I think I I put out there on Twitter. There's like, let's just take a moment to appreciate the Apollo pitching staff that really yeah. did a did a great a job on them. I mean, held them to under ten base runners for the whole day. They went out. They did what they needed to do. They drove in runs. And obviously, it's been a tough season. We've obviously been very critical of that Apollo's team saying that they're not really good because, well, a sub-21 just isn't good. A under-21 team is not good. So you can be critical of them. That much is fair. But they ran out there. They pitched their hearts out. They, like I said, playing spoiler is a motivation. And they clearly were playing with that motivation. And they went out there and they did a great job. So good on them for that. It's also on Lincoln for, you know, your season's on the line. You need to win, and you couldn't come up and win. Likewise, Sioux City did what they needed to do. They took care of business. Granted, they did lose 3-2 to Sioux Falls on the last day, which made everything a lot hairier than it needed to be. But they still, they Koch stepped up, and he threw a no-hitter when, he, when the team needed him to. So, like, the way Sioux City got in, and then clearly what they've done while they're here, they've deserved it they earned it absolutely and, and i think you saw that when, when they ended up defeating cleburne in that wild card game that i mean they they showed they belong they showed that they deserve to be here and it showed that the right team ended up uh, ended up making the playoffs i mean as far as lincoln they they almost had it handed to them yeah um and it's just a brutal brutal blow that they were not able to come out on top, but all they had to do was win against the Apollos and you're in. I mean, that's when that's going to be a tough one to swallow for them. Yeah. For, really the, for the entire off season. I mean, their fans, Brett Jody, 
players. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a that's a tough one to swallow. Yeah, they were um, they were given all the runway in the world too because they had what an eleven game homestand to end the year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, they when you have that kind of a homestand, I think like they had three or four away games in the whole month of August. It you kind of have everything lined up perfect. You have the weakest opponent you're going to face on your schedule for the last four and you split with them, that's just not acceptable. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, but, I mean, congrats to Sioux City. They they came up big when they needed to. And then they went on the road and won that huge, and won a huge game against Cleburne. So, um, what, is it likely that they defeat Kansas City? No. Not really. Uh, but... Stranger things have time, happened. I, th- I think just with how hot Sioux City started this year and how low they fell and to still rebound, so put themselves back in it by the end of the year and eventually make the postseason, I think, is a, is a real testament to them. Yeah, no, Sioux, um, yeah. The Sioux fought it's hard. It's a real testament to them. Yeah, no, Sioux City fought hard, and they, they battled back and they got it. I mean... They also took on a slew of awards, like we'll talk about once we uh, kind of finish with this. But yeah, it's just they did a they did a great job battling to the very end. There, guys like Sermo came up big at bat. They got the pitching they needed to get to this point. Chase Harris probably is worth five or six defensive runs saved alone by the way he fields. I mean, God, he he just makes great catch after great catch. It's amazing, but. Yeah, it's it's honestly uh, it's something else that they were able to go down to Texas and knock off Cleveland. Cleveland was a team which, for those that know, don't know, the wildcard games were on uh, Wednesday night, and it was Cleburne hosting Sioux City, and then uh, Fargo Moorhead hosting Milwaukee. And we'll talk about the north half of things in a second. But Cleburne got off. It was a very low-scoring game to start. They got off. On a good track, it was 0-0 through the first half of the game. Then solo shot put up Sioux City. Then another two-run shot. Then another two-run shot. And I believe in the end it wound up being a, a 5-0 final in favor of the Explorers there. And I mean, you can't get shut out like that. You can't get shut out in an elimination game. And they did. And it's disappointing. You lose 4 nothing. my mistake. Even still, the point remains. They didn't... They didn't play particularly well. They got four hits and five base runners the whole way for Cleburne. Credits to uh, Patrick Lede and and Coons to go out there and throw five and four innings respectively of three run and two run or three runner and two runner uh, ball. They didn't overpower guys, but they did their job. And honestly, it was just a defensive slugfest for most of the time. No real offense coming through, and in the end. Sioux City managed to win it out. And that's what's so fun about these wildcard games is it's one game, winner take all. Anything can happen. And we saw what happened. A team that probably, if they were to play a series, would not have won is now taking on Kansas City. Exactly. And I, I think that's what that's what makes it tough for, for Cleburne to swallow. Because, I mean, when you look at the talent on the field... Again, not that it matters that much in, in one game because it, it really doesn't. But you would have to say Cleburne had the better roster, Cleburne had yeah. the better team, and Cleburne had the better season. But in this in this type of format, when it's just one game and 
granted, it's a, it's an advantage for Cleveland to be at home. Uh, but I mean, not it. It does seem like an upset, but then again, Cleveland kind of limped down the stretch. Yeah, right. They lost four. They lost their last four regular season games. I mean, granted, so, they were playing. Uh, they were playing Kansas City there for that last series, but yeah, yeah. No, I'm. I'm. I'm not disputing that. Yeah, but I do think that you, in the same way, you can get hot at the right time. You can also get cold at the. You could also get uh, cold at the wrong time. Yeah, and yeah. I think I really think that's what happened to Cleburne, even if they were playing Kansas City, and I think that probably could have played a big role in uh, in why this game went the way it did. Sioux City comes in with all the momentum, Cleburne kind of coming in playing not to lose, and. You know, a four hit, a four hit output for for the railroaders and uh, no runs. It, it's a tough pill to swallow. It's a tough way for your season to end. Um, but I think that's it's definitely a disappointing end to the season for Cleburne. Takes away a series we all thought we were going to get when yeah. uh, with Cleburne and Kansas City. Uh, but not that Cleburne would have really competed with Kansas City. I don't think, but. But definitely a tough way to end the season for Cleburne. But listen, Sioux City is is playing good baseball right now at the right time. So we'll see if they can make this interesting against the Monarchs. Yeah, and I guess with that, we'll continue just to finish up the South Division talk for now. Uh, do we think that series is going to be a genuinely competitive series? Or is this just going to be a mere speed bump for what has been quite clearly the best team in the American Association this year? in the Kansas City Monarchs. Keep in mind, they have a winning percentage of nearly 700. I don't want to completely discredit Sioux City, but I think it's more, it just speaks to how good Kansas City is, how good the Monarchs are. I can't see it being more than a speed bump. Kansas City's absolutely the better team. They have home field advantage. They have all They have all the the advantages you could possibly need in this series, uh, especially with the fact that Sioux City has already um, Sioux City has already burned an arm, yeah. and Kansas City hasn't. Kansas City has their rotation exactly the way they want it, um, and it's tough for me to see Sioux City making the series too close. Not to say they won't compete in some games, and Kansas City is going to blow their doors off uh, each game. But I, I don't see the Monarchs having too much trouble, and they're, and I'll, I could see them advancing pretty quickly to the American Association Championship. I'd agree. I think uh, I think Kansas City is going to take this one. Pitching is like the only area where I could maybe see being an issue, but even then when you look at it, that's a pretty deep team there, and offense should carry the day. I don't think it's going to be a sweep. I think Sioux City can steal a game. I think they're good enough to do that. I don't know if they're they got much else beyond that in the tank, but I will say I think a four game series is what we're in line for here. Kansas City is just that much better. We spent the whole season whenever we mentioned them saying how great they are and you don't win 69 games in a season in a 100 game season without being very, very good. And they are just that good. You have five lineup regulars that hit over 300. There's no... 
and like I'm going to talk about with Chicago in, in a bit, there's no one you pitch around to get to somebody else in this lineup. But unlike with Chicago, it's not because you don't, you go, this guy, I think I can get out, even though he has a tendency to not do that. With these guys, it's, it's not worth putting another guy on. So that way someone else can hit a home run off of me. And that will be a two run shot as opposed to a three, as opposed to a one run shot. So that's kind of the way that I look at this lineup structure. You made a good point. Well, they burned really two arms between Lede and then Coons because one through five innings, one through four innings, they're not going to be going tonight. Maybe they're able to go for Saturday. I mean, today, now, most people are listening to this. Some perhaps they're available for that. I'd say Coons is probably still not a go. If you throw four innings on Wednesday, I think you'd like to give him more than two days rest on that. But perhaps he's he can play. Who knows, really? Um, if not, he'll certainly be available for when uh, when things shift back over to Sioux City there. But yeah, I think it's going to be more or less an inconvenience for for Kansas City. I think they'll still win this series. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think that uh, it's, I could see Sioux City taking a game, but at the end of the day, I think Kansas City is just too talented. Yeah, they're just they're such a good team. That's that's really the issue here. Uh, we'll talk quickly, though, on the other side of the division. That's been pretty much well and settled for quite some time now. We've known it was Milwaukee, Fargo, Moorhead. We've known Fargo, Moorhead would be hosting that game. And it was a doozy of a game in the North Division wildcard uh, game. Uh, it opened up with five runs in the bottom of the first inning for the Red Hawks, and then not another run scored that whole game. So... In one sense, you could arguably say it was a pitcher's duel because a lot of people did well pitching. It's just Holmberg got lit up in a third of an inning, five earned runs on five hits, no strikeouts, no walks. Miles Smith came in to relieve him, and he threw great. Three hits, three walks, no no runs, seven strikeouts. The bullpen then did their job on the Milwaukee side, but... As we kind of thought, Matt Tomshaw got the start for the wildcard game for the Red Hawks. He went seven and two-thirds strong, only allowed five base runners, three walks, two hits, five Ks. And then they brought in the fireballer Flores, who's just been great. He started in the bullpen, then he went as a starter, then he came back as a bullpen. And he allowed no base runners in the inning in the third work, struck out one, and sent the Fargo-Moorhead Red Hawks to the championship game. I really feel like this is a disappointing outcome for Milwaukee on one hand, simply because they were the defending champion. I think we all kind of expected a lot more from them coming into the year. And then the effect in the performance you saw in uh, in a wild card game and a do or die winner take all game and it just it wasn't up to par. You need to perform better than that if it's an elimination game. They just simply it seemed like they didn't come ready to play, and by the time they, they woke up and started playing, it was just too late. Matt Tomshaw deserves so much so much of the credit for yeah. uh, for this. He was absolutely dazzling in this game, uh, throwing 115 pitches in seven and two-thirds innings. I mean, only allowing three hits uh, to a Milwaukee lineup that that is really good, a team that, uh, a team that got better even. During the season, adding Will Kenger late, adding Colt Sturgeon late. Yeah, Mikey Reynolds, I mean, too. Was, sure. Yeah, I mean, M- Milwaukee was just 
a really good team, a very good lineup, and, and Matt Tomshaw uh, absolutely shut them down. It was an awesome performance for him. Um, and I, I think I liked your assessment because, I mean, at the end of the day, Fargo Moore had scored all their runs in the first inning off David Holmberg. I don't question the, the choice to go to Holmberg to start this game, uh, but obviously – he just didn't really have it yeah. at all. Um, and you would say, oh, maybe he should have had a quicker hook. I mean, he only threw 22 pitches. So yeah. that was probably an, that was an extremely uh, quick hook to begin with. And the right decision was to go to Miles Smith. Smith did a great job. The rest of the rest of the pitching staff did a great job. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you come off, when you have a rough start like that, and Tom Shaw was as good as he was. I, I think you could kind of say, um, I, I think you could kind of say after that five run first inning, maybe the wind was sucked out of um, Milwaukee sails a little bit. Uh, the home crowd, obviously behind Fargo Moorhead helps. Yeah. I think that um, Matt and Matt Tom Shaw was just, was just too good. But I think the wind was really just taken out of the sails of Milwaukee after that huge first inning by the Red Hawks and uh and again a one game playoff who knows how this would have gone in a series but um but certainly after that great start the the Red Hawks didn't look back they pitched great and they certainly deserve a shot against Chicago to get into the championship series absolutely and I mean there's only so quick of a hook you can even have on top of uh on top of what Barone did because I mean when your starter goes that bad you still need to get somebody up someone warmed up and most pitchers you know you don't expect that you're going to be coming in with only one out in the first inning it takes time to get a another guy up and it has to be a starter going because you, otherwise you're going to burn through your bullpen and you'll really be up the creek so miles smith was clearly the right choice here and it's going to take him a minute to get ready so you know i i that was the right decision that was made there it's just you can't account for a bad start in a key game, and I agree with everything you said there, Will, and it'll be interesting to see how it will work out against Chicago for Fargo-Moorhead. The, the thing that I don't get about Chicago is there's no like overpoweringly good bat on that Chicago team as we talk about the now uh, North Division Championship Series. You look at this team, and you go, okay, it's a good team. There's a lot of solid pieces here, but there's no like all-star talent on the Chicago Dogs roster. It, there just really isn't one that I can find. No, I agree with that. I think that they're just a really, and I know it sounds cliche, but they're really just a strong, a very strong team, yeah. a team that has a lot of depth, um, and a, a team that really gets contributions up and down the roster. I mean, you don't have a guy, I mean, outside of Casey Hobson, of course, who had a great season as well. Uh, I mean, as a team, they hit 278 this season. So, I mean, that really just shows, like, the depth of that lineup um, and, and how good they were without a guy who uh, absolutely tore the cover off the ball. Of course, you can make the case for, for Bennett as well because uh, how good of a season he had. Yeah. Uh, but... But, I mean, overall, it's just there really just wasn't a weak link in the Dogs lineup. And I think that's really what makes them so effective uh, in general. They they kept a lot of the same group together the whole season. And 
And I think that's what led to them getting a lot of wins. Uh, even if they weren't hitting for a ton of power, uh, even if there wasn't a bona fide superstar in that lineup, just the depth from top to bottom really carried them to, to a lot of these wins. Yeah, absolutely. It's just everyone chipped in and, and went to work. And the thing is, when you look at this team here, there's no one I look at and go, yeah, I, I pitch around them. Because the thing is, there's no one here that looks like that tough of an out, perhaps Bennett, but outside of him, like 312 is the highest batting average. Everyone else is like pretty much between 270 and, and 300 or so. It's just, there's no one that you say is that much of a threat. Perhaps Hobson, if there's guys on base, or maybe Krause, if there's guys on base, but and there's really nobody else where I'd even consider that. And that's the weird thing about this team here. It's like every other team that made the postseason, you, there's one or two guys that you can point to and go, they're the reason why they're here. And, or in the case of Kansas City, you could pick about five or six guys. But it, there's just, it's just such a weird team in that regard is that there's just no one there. And then on the pitching side either, like that that comes down to earth a lot more, 440 team ERA. And there's a bit more turnover there. But even still, they largely kept it together. Am I a little concerned about the, the starting pitching of them? A little bit. I think that they have plenty to get by, though. I think Murphy and Bowden, and Bowden are going to do a fine job and take care of what they need to take care of. I think if Kipper can get you through, you'll be fine. And then you have Christian Friedrich, too, who's a solid, solid arm, too. So you have three good arms. I think they'll be fine in that regard. There's, there's enough here where it's just a really well-put-together team. So I can see a lot of, a lot of, lot of wins for this team in the postseason. But at the same time, we just spent a lot of time talking about Fargo Moorhead, and they're a solid team as well. I mean, they're another team where like there's two or three guys that you can immediately point to. Uh, Manny Boskin's one of them. Um, Corel Prime, another guy. Leo Pena, another guy. There's a lot of guys here. Of course, George too, who made a postseason uh, or end of year All Star team. Uh, to boot, there's a lot of guys on this team that hit well, and it this, it's also a team effort. But Chicago is just like the ultimate team team because they just keep piecing things together and winning. I don't know how they're doing that. Yeah, I think I think it really just comes down to the depth yeah. of uh, of that team. And you're right, maybe they don't have a definite ace, but they do have three solid starters you completely trust to go out there in a playoff game and get you a win. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day, that's what really matters. Uh, instead of maybe having an ace and two guy, two other guys who who are solid and can go get you a win, but uh, you don't trust fully. I think that's not the case with this team. I think that there's – I think you can trust any of those guys to go out there. You can kind of order them in any way you want to. Yeah. And, and I think I think that's, that's certainly – an advantage that they have as well. Uh, but I mean, honestly, on paper, I think Chicago and Fargo Moorhead, they're very, they're, they're pretty similar teams in a lot of, in a lot of senses. Mm. Uh, but it's going to be a really, this series is going to be really close. It's going to be really fun. And I could really see it going either way. You could make a case, you could make a case for Chicago. You could make a case for Fargo Moorhead. It's really, really close. I think this series is going to go the distance. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and 
I think you're definitely looking at it going the distance. And it's it's I could see either team coming out on top. I think this series is that close, and it's, that's how this division's been all year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I probably say I go Fargo in five, just because I kind of look at that roster and every player that Chicago has. It seems as though Fargo Moorhead has the has a better version of that player. Like you look at Ryan Lidge, and I'd point out Matty Boskin or Kevin Krauss. If you want to point out. Casey Hobson, I'd say John Silviano. If you want to say uh, Bennett, I go with, all right, pick your pick of any of the infielders between Novak, Pena, Carell Prime, who have also complained the outfield too. Also, there's still in Kelly as well. Like I think I said in the preview, this team is really deep at catcher when you look at the Fargo team. But in any case, there's just a good hitting team. I, I kind of lean in favor a Fargo, I mean, it's hard to pick against a team that hits 304 as a team. Uh, that's incredible. In pitching-wise, they're slightly better numbers-wise, 432 to 444 for team ERAs. At this point, I think you could kind of toss a lot of that out, though. And when it comes down to individual game, I, I like Fargo more hit ever so slightly more. But it really it really is close in, in this series. Yeah, if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one, I think I would go Fargo Moorhead as well. Uh, I think they're they're slightly slightly more talented, but again, I mean, Chicago has home field advantage that can be discounted uh, either. So uh, it's so hard because I could see I could see the case made for Chicago as well. But yeah. if I had to pick, I, I would go Fargo Moorhead. In five as well, but I would not be shocked in the least if Chicago were, were to come out on top either. Exactly. See, I think what's hard about picking this series is Chicago's been pretty even the whole year. They've been consistently a good team or an above average to very good team the whole year. They really haven't had a dip. Fargo Morgan, on the other hand, has had dips where they weren't very good, but then very high highs where they looked very, very good. So it's very hard there. Plus, with Fargo Moorhead, part of their dip was they just got totally raided on pitching. I mean, they lost Pike, McGovern, Heger. They lost three or four starters in the span of about a month. So, I mean, that's going to take a major hit on you as well. So uh, it really is a tough series. It's going to be a really fun one to watch. I come. I look forward to coming back on the show next week when we can talk about that more. Uh, but before we move off the American Association completely, because we we have kind of reached the end of the, the line as far as baseball talk in the association goes this week, we still do have awards from this past week. So I figure we go through each of these awards and just quickly uh, give what we think about each one, because a couple of them had a little bit of uh, controversy, I should say, around them. I would agree with that. There are, there's a couple, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll see when we get to them, but... I I don't agree with some of them. Yeah. Uh, so we'll leave it at that. All right. So how about we start the top of the list and we'll move down. We won't uh, tease you with other ones. Player of the year. This is one that I really think for most of us thought would go one of three ways. It'd either go Kyle Martin, Adam Brett Walker, or Josh Altman. I think those are pretty much the three. Possibly a case made for Jose Sermo, but realistically there was a big three there. And it winds up going for the first time in American Association history to the same player that won it the year prior. So the first consecutive MVP winner, also only the second player in American Association history to win the award second time. 
uh, Adam Brett Walker II from Milwaukee. He set the single season record with home runs at 32. And so once he set that record, it seemed to be like he was going to get it. I don't I don't dislike that. He definitely earned it. He definitely deserves it. I vote and he probably is the right pick, but I've always kind of leaned a little bit towards Josh Altman because a shortstop that hits 29 home runs and has over stole and has over 20 stolen bases. There's a soft spot for me there and Altman I think was more of a driver for his team than Walker was for Milwaukee. Not to say he wasn't important. Milwaukee wouldn't have been nearly as good of a team without Adam Brett Walker. There's no way you could argue that intelligently. But there was a lot of other really solid pieces on that Milwaukee team. When you look at the Lincoln team, there was a lot fewer really generating pieces there. I just thought Altman was a bit more important to his team. But I'm not going to complain because it is player of the year and not most valuable player. So uh, Adam Brett Walker winning that one, I'm fine with. I, I I definitely could have seen an argument for for multiple guys. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, yeah, I thought if I were to have a vote, I think I would have voted for Kyle Martin. Yeah, um, I mean Martin had an awesome season. Uh, I know we ended up finishing behind uh, Adam Brett Walker and home runs slightly with thirty one. Uh, Martin also, but I mean Martin led the league in RBIs as well. Um, I mean, he had, he had a great offensive season as well. I think that on a team with Winnipeg that, you know, had its up and ups and downs during the year, I think Martin has always been that, that really consistent piece there. So I, I think Adam Brett Walker and Altman certainly have, have really good arguments. I think Kyle Martin is right up there with them in some ways. Yeah. Uh, so if I had to pick one, I think I would go Kyle Martin, but that's not to say Adam Brett Walker doesn't deserve it. I think uh, he's obviously a great player who had an insanely good season and certainly deserves the award. Yeah, absolutely there. And a fun fact for you, media does get to vote for this, but for whatever reason, we didn't get a vote. And I've been complaining about that on Twitter, that we didn't get a vote. So I'm going to need everybody to continue to complain along with us so that way next year (laughs) we can get a vote. I'm not even greedy. We don't need two votes. We can, we'll settle for one vote for the show. And I'm sure we'd find out that we could come to terms on uh, who we'd vote for. How we can make that Agreed. a whole episode, us dissecting the ballot. I think that'd be Agreed. fun. I think that'd, that'd be fun. I know, it would be really fun. And I think that we deserve a vote, personally. But eh, I agree. The disrespect to this show never stops. But <laughs> because clearly we are worthy of respect. But yes. But we move on to Rookie of the Year, and this year they did something a bit different. In past years, it was just one Rookie of the Year. Now it's a position and pitcher Rookie of the Year. So it winds up being Wyatt Ulrich from Sioux Falls and Nate Hadley from Milwaukee. I'm not sure if I love doing it like that. I personally like just having one Rookie of the Year. But, I mean, I'm, I'm cool with both of them. Hadley's perfectly fine. He was a very reliable reliever for Milwaukee throughout the whole year. And, I mean... Wyatt Ulrich was reached on base something crazy like 65, 67 games in a row at one point. He was just an on-base machine. He had an over 30-game hitting streak going. The dude was just nuts. He did not seem like a rookie player. And to be honest, because he's a little bit of a younger player, I'm kind of surprised he wasn't signed at any point in the year. But hey, I'm more than happy to, uh, to watch him play ball. So 
I, I definitely agree with both of those. I think that once I agree with you that I don't love that's that's how they did the award. I, I don't know why you can't just have a rookie of the year award yeah. for, for, for the American Association. But I, I think given how it was formatted, I think this the I think these were the easy choices. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if you really could have made an argument for, for anyone else in that class. Uh, but I mean I mean Hadley was so good all year for for Milwaukee, I think that, um, and Ulrich certainly as well as you mentioned. I, I think that given given how uh, given how the award was formatted, I think no arguments here. Pretty easy choice. Yeah, there is a couple of them were just easier to make. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year. This one had a couple of guys you could go from, but I agree in the end they go Chase Harris from Sioux City. Chase Harris, like I said earlier in the show. He's just a stud when it comes to defense. The man steals home runs like he's picking apples. He makes these incredible diving catches and everything. It really is like some Andy Chavez-like fielding. And I'm not going to disagree with it. I think Zach Narier down in Cleburne made a case. Uh, Greer in Chicago had a case. There was a couple of the guys, Zimmerman in uh, Fargo, Moorhead, made a couple of catches, but he was hurt for a large part of the year and came on late, so he really can't be the option here. But in the end, I think Chase Harris does make the most sense. The dude was a human highlight real defensively this year. Yeah, I, I think Harris would have been my pick as well. Um, it's always hard. It's always hard for me. Uh, you know, trying to trying to determine defensive player of the year basically just off, like, highlights of some guys because that's kind of all you can roll with you don't yeah. want to do like fielding percentage or anything like that um so but I, I think like i mean some of the plays harris this made made this year were literally draw were literally jaw dropping and i think that uh, it's certainly an argument could be had for others but at the in the end if i were to get a vote harris would have been my vote as well yeah i think him and ulrich were the two runaway winners for their awards. I don't think there's really any argument around any other player for their awards. But uh, we go to now one of the more controversial, I guess, picks, which was manager of the year. It goes to Joe Calter-Pietra. He is, this is the second time he's won it. This is with Kansas City. Uh, he also won in 2018. This one, I didn't expect to be as controversial as it was. And apparently on uh, Twitter, there was some discontent under the guise of well of course he would win it he had the best record because he had the best roster which the obvious deflection of that is well someone had to build that roster and Couch Pietra did a great job with it I see where they're coming from with the, well look at the roster he had he should have won 70 games I would I have gone with Kansas City in that one would I have I went with Joe Couch Pietra probably not I probably would have went Brett Jody or Butch Hobson just because both of their teams exceeded expectations, and in Brett Jody's case in particular, he just kind of walked into an offseason, or walked into somebody else's offseason, really. He didn't have much time to bring in his guys. I mean, obviously, Puglis and uh, Vidal are pretty much Jody guys, but I'll say that there really isn't anyone else on that roster that you could say is one of his guys, and he did a lot with that roster under that uh, setup. So I, I don't disagree with college free agent getting it. 
if he may not have been my choice, but he definitely deserves it. You win 69 games with the roster you put together and you lose a slew of guys throughout the way. Yeah, you, you earned the award and there's not really much else to say. Saying that in an indie ball perspective, yeah, just because the manager is so involved with building the roster, yeah, and so I get it. I, but I'm just more inclined, like in general, like throughout all sports, of giving manager of the year mm. to one who, um, to really whose team defied expectations. I think that my pick would have been Hobson. Um, just because I don't think a lot of us expected much from Chicago this year, and they won a very tough North division, and I think he deserves a ton of credit for that. Um, but you know, I I, I don't I, I don't I'm not going to sit up here and, and decry the manager of the uh, the manager whose team had the best record getting the award, but I do think that if I had a vote, it would have went to Hobson just because. Nobody really expected him, the dogs, to do a whole lot. Uh, but, I mean, they had an awesome season, and I think Hobson deserves a lot of credit for it. So that's that's where my vote would have gone. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, it's That's the thing, too. It's like, for me, Brett Jody and Butch Hobson are kind of like 1A, 1B to me. I'd be cool voting either one of them. And then right after them is Kalf Tripietra. And really, there are, I don't think there is another option. You can maybe argue Rick Forney because his team was on the road a lot and he kept them in contention for for way longer than they really had any business being in contention for. But even that's a stretch to give a 500 club uh, their manager manager of the year. It, like I said, I just don't think it's that big of like this, this snub. I think they're all fairly equal and they all have a good enough case for it. I, I agree, though. Well, I would have went Butch Hobson as well. Which already, I like to find out that most of our ballot would have been pretty similar. We wouldn't have had any disagreements here, for the most yeah, part. Yeah, I mean, outside of play, outside of player of the year, but yeah, I mean, although I would have been fine with, yeah, uh, I would have been fine with Altman too. Yeah, I mean, like that's the thing here. That's one that we could have easily worked through on that. Everybody else is like, yeah, yeah. no, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll go to starting pitcher of the year, and I think we're going to be pretty much on the same page with this one as well. And this one goes to Miles Smith from Milwaukee. They change it from pitcher of the year to starting pitcher of the year. It's a small change, but one that was made in any case. Uh, yeah, Miles Smith deserved it. He was by far the best uh, starter. And I will be honest, I was skeptical at first when they started using him as a starter because I was like, he's a reliever in the Atlantic League, so he's got to be a reliever here. But he, he balled out. Uh, top five in the ERA, was on top of the charts in strikeouts. He looked solid all year. He looked very good. He looked very good, and he he deserves this award. I think Miles Smith definitely deserved the award, and I was also skeptical. And he also start when he got off to a lukewarm start. I'll say he was walking a lot of guys at the beginning of the season. I kind of had some doubts. I was I was skeptical because. Hmm that's kind of what you worry about a lot with relievers when relievers convert to convert to starters you worry about the control aspect of things sometimes uh but i mean smith settled in and had an unbelievable season as a as a starter um and i think that he deserves a ton of credit for it and i think it was it was definitely an easy choice uh to make him a start to um 
So, well, not an easy choice to make him a starter. Yeah. To make him starting pitch, to make him starting pitcher of the year, I, I think he he definitely deserves it. He deserves a ton of credit. He definitely deserves it, and uh, congrats to him. Yep, a hundred percent there. Uh, and then just reliever of the year, real quick, James Puglis. Uh, yeah. He was a solid reliever all year. One of the Brett Jody guys brought in. Unsurprising that, you know, he's going to flourish in a league where he doesn't have weird rules and he has a very good pitcher's manager. I agree with that one. I don't think there's too many other options uh, to go with there. Puglis had another great season as he has an indie ball uh, pretty much since, I mean, in the Atlantic League, he was great as well. And staying with Brett Jody, staying, of course, without without the, the weird rules, as you mentioned, Nick, yeah. I think that that did that did him a lot of good. Uh, and, and staying within that, uh, and he, he had a great season. I don't really think there's an argument for too many others. Uh, so definitely agree. Puglis had a great season and definitely deserves the award as well. Hundred percent. Uh, end of year all stars, going from catcher, first base, second base, third base, shortstop, the three outfield spots, the heathen position that shall not be named, and then uh, the two start, uh, the starter and reliever. I uh, will be Ryan Lidge from Chicago, Kyle Martin from Winnipeg, Ryan Grootjohn from Kansas City, Jose Sermo from Sioux City, Josh Altman from Lincoln, Jordan George from Fargo Moorhead. Adam Brett Walker II from Milwaukee, Ramon Hernandez from Cleburne, Miles Smith from Milwaukee, and James Puglis from Lincoln. So that is how the All-Stars shake out. I think that's about right. I don't think there's too many other, uh, I don't think there's any snubs there. No, I don't think so. No, no major objections here. It seems like a pretty good group. Yep, I'd agree with that. And so now, as we kind of head into the last 15, 20 minutes of this show, I think we need to talk about the Frontier League that's had just a wild week as they wrap up their season this weekend and then get going on their playoffs uh, towards the middle to end of next week. So I think the natural place to begin with the Frontier League, and we may not get to their awards and everything this week, but that's fine. They can wait. The teams that we've been talking about all year. We know Schaumburg clinched the division. Good for them. We knew that was coming, though. But that Northeast division that we've been saying all along, it's Sussex to lose. It's Sussex to lose. Sussex finally, well, lost it officially last night. After they lost to the Valley Cats, that gave the Wild Things the win. And just in case they want the Washington wanted to remove any doubt... They then beat the Jackals later on. The Wild Things have just been incredibly hot. It seems like they're perpetually 8-2. and two. The Miners, meanwhile, 2-8. and eight. They were swept by Washington, I believe, earlier in the week. And they just, they've fallen really flat this month. That's really the only way to put it. They've played yeah. really poor baseball. Yeah, it's definitely a really, really disappointing end. For the miners, and I mean, the two and eight in their last ten, even just just not uh, just not going to cut it. I mean, the fact that they're only five above five hundred at this point, that you're not going to win many divisions like that. But uh, I'm bit, well, as good of a team as Washington was, and as good of baseball as Washington was playing, Sussex had to match them. I mean, Sussex had the lead for most of the season. Yeah, but uh, but. 
it was just not uh, – they just didn't play good baseball down the stretch. Everything kind of fell apart, specifically on the pitching end of things. Um, There's a lot of drama with them. I don't know. It just didn't seem like a very Sussex County Miners team near the end of the season, not a classic Miners team, Bobby Jones-led team. Yeah. And and Washington is certainly the better team at this point. Uh, they proved it, and they – I mean, they're going to win the, the Northeast Division comfortably at this point. Like, oh, yeah. Very comfortably. And uh, I think that's just a testament to that. They show, it shows how good they are. And even though they got off to a rough start, I mean, they played great baseball for two-thirds of the season. And that, that was enough to get them past Sussex County and into the playoffs. And I think Washington should be a, a favorite to end up uh, in the championship series as well. So, I mean, an awesome se- season for them and a Big, big disappointment for Sussex. Absolutely. But, I mean, like you said, well, they had to match the poor play of Wash- uh, that Washington was doing as well. And Washington, they went out. They won a lot of games. The Miners so far in September are 1-8, which you just cannot do, especially including the sweep. And they just, you mentioned it, all the all the drama around Bobby Jones, mainly when it comes to, Val- to their play against the Valley Cats, which... For those that are curious, they won the season series by one game. Miners did over the Valley Cats for whatever that's worth. Of course, there's. I would love to see the split between pre and post uh, roster turnover, but that's a whole other issue there. It just it seems to be very disappointing. And we were talking about this before we came on air, so I'll bring it on air now. Are the Miners the most disappointing team in indie ball this year because of the expectations they had? I mean, we knew it would be a tough division to win, but for me, there really isn't another team that compares to them that had the same expectations and really the same odds of winning their division as the Miners did. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's close. I, I really don't. I think that it was... Sussex is definitely the most disappointing team in Indy Ball this year, a team that had championship aspirations and were the odds on favorite probably to yeah. win the, to win the championship and to end up missing the playoffs is, I mean, there's no other way to slice it. They were definitely, definitely the most disappointing team in indie ball this year. And I, I don't, I don't think it's that close. Yeah. It, it just, they were, they should have been a lot better than they wound up being. And the thing is, if you look at the team that was playing on July 1st and earlier, and the team that was playing on August 1st and after, on paper, they look the same, but the results are just so totally different. There's such a chasm between the two that it's just, it, it, it's head-scratching, to be honest. And honestly, with their record currently, they'd be a game back in the Atlantic Division. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just not not very good there. Uh, we'll go to those other divisions now because we do have to move on from the, from the Northeast Division. I think the West Division is where we're going to go next. Because that's also a dogfight. But yeah, it's just been really a disappointing year for anyone named Miners. It's now Southern Illinois kind of out of this. Uh, 51 wins for them. I believe they only have three games, four games left in their season. And they're four and a half backs. So there's just no way they can make it up at this point. And getting swept by Florence is kind of what did them in. But that sweep that Florence did pull off has moved them into first place. So the, so the Yalls now take over first place from the Otters which is a team that's seemingly always 5-5, five and five, which normally you wouldn't complain about 500 baseball. You could make do with that, especially when you have 55 wins. And we were saying last week that 
the otters are in the driver's seat. They can win like two or three of their last however many games. They seemingly have this locked up. And they just really haven't done that. As now 55 and 37 leads the division over 55 and 38. And that's just a really rough position to be in going into the final week of the year. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I think that uh, it, the division's obviously so close at this point. Uh, and it's coming down to the wire, kind of how it's been for mm-hmm. a lot of the season. And it's going to be a really fun finish. I mean, Florence is playing such good baseball right now. Uh, and it, it'd be it's hard for me to say that Evansville, it kind of feels like Evansville choked this division away because, I mean, they're still five, 55 and 38, and they yeah. can certainly still make it. But it would be tough for them to swallow after being in first for so much of the year. Yeah. Uh, granted, not by a ton. I mean, we were saying Florence is the third best team in this division. Florence is the third best team in this division. Well, yeah. look who's in first at this point. Yeah. And then they're playing really good baseball right now. One, one three straight. Yeah. Um, and not to say that Evansville can't make it up. There's, there's still this weekend, of course. Uh, and that's going to be really fun. But, uh, but I mean, credit to Florence for putting, putting themselves in this position, for sure. Oh, absolutely. That Florence has managed to string up some very big wins. I mean, they won three in a row, two against Windy City, one against uh, Joliet. Then they lost the one to Joliet, then traded wins again, then won three in a row. So they've done their job. They've beat good teams when they needed to. And meanwhile, Evansville had a fairly easy slate, and they got through the hard part. They took two of three from Southern Illinois. Then they dropped, like, I want to say, two and two against Schaumburg I believe they lost once in the home run derby and then they lost once in uh, you know regulation I guess and then they dropped two of three from Joliet and it's just a really tough one to swallow when you're losing the teams like the slammers that you should be beating up on now I will say Schaumburg is playing Florence Lake Erie is playing Evansville both their home series for the West Division so they have it set up here where they still can win this thing but now that they're essentially even there's really only one way this thing ends in Evansville's favor, and that's they win one more game than uh, Florence does. And that's not impossible here. They really need a sweep right now, and I'm not sure they're going to get that. But two and three could be enough because Schaumburg's that good of a team where they could, you know, help them out a bit. But that's a, it's been a crazy division all year. And like you said, well, the, the Otters got used to living on the knife's edge. And the problem with that is, there's not a lot of room for error. And right now, they, they're playing the same way they've played for most of the second half of the year. And unfortunately, another team jumped up and kind of nipped them in the ass. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think that eventually it did. And I mean, and even if you could think about a potential of a, of a tie... Yeah. Oh man, do we want do we want to go into this tiebreaker? We, we don't have again? time to do a tiebreaker. We don't yeah. got twenty minutes for that. But even still, I think there's a. I don't think there's enough games for that. I think each have three left. So. So, oh, so they're not playing the same amount of games. Yeah, I don't think so. At least when I looked at the schedule quickly, it didn't seem like that. No. Okay. Well, then there's going to be no tie. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think so yeah, a, it's going to be. Yeah, it's a Sioux City Lincoln type situation. I think. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think Evansville, it would be tough for them to swallow a tough, a tough pill to swallow if they were to lose this, um, 
division so late in the year. But you're right, Florence got the through the tough part of their schedule, all right, and and I think that's the uh, and that's really the difference here, and how they've been able to charge up to the top, and now they have a great opportunity to close out this division this weekend, which would be I mean absolutely massive if they were to overtake Evansville and. Really, it'd be really disappointing, I think, for a lot of people if if Evansville didn't make the playoffs at at uh, fifty five and thirty eight, so the second best record oh. in the Frontier League, missing the playoffs. Yeah, I can think of one fan in particular that would be very upset if the Otters missed. But uh, with that said, we do have our usual suspects to talk about quickly before we get out of here, uh, which is the Atlantic Division. Equip Quebec now leads that by a half game over the Valley Cats. And the situation I wanted to come to pass so badly has come. The Valley Cats trail that division by a half game. The team, then the Valley Cats are playing Washington for three. So that's not exactly an easy series by any stretch for them. But you know who we keep Quebec's playing? They're playing the Sussex County Miners. So that means every Tri-City fan is very much rooting for the Miners to win some games here. And isn't that a fun situation? Oh, so much fun. So much fun. Oh, God. With all the drama, all of everything that's happened, now the Valley Cats need the Miners to come up. And would we put it past Bobby Jones to just kind of roll out whatever the hell lineups he would like and maybe help out his French counterparts up in Quebec? That would be... Oh, man. <laughs> I'm not going to say he's going to do it because I don't think Bobby would, although he did. No, no. He did tell a reporter he's not answering his questions and then sped off. But I, that is true. I, I'm not going to like, here's the thing. I could see both happening and we'll know like tonight, Friday night with the double hair that they're playing off of like the lineup card that comes out because Bobby's ran some very interesting lineup cards this year. We'll see how that lines up, and if it's kind of out there, then I think we kind of know why it's out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be it would be quite the story if he were to do that. Uh, but uh, it's but, the drama we need. Uh, yeah, I mean, you hope not. I, I just want to see you know a fair yeah. uh, fight to the finish between two teams that uh, that that are in it, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but I mean, Quebec is, I, I, I hope, I almost hope what a story it would be if Quebec were to win. It would. And so I'm, I'm kind of, kind of low key hoping for that. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the same boat because it's like, they've been through a lot this year, that team. And I, I believe our Dave friend's still with the, with Quebec. So kind of like for him, I want them to go far too, but on the flip side, the law firm's on the other side, and I want to see him pitch more. So it's a real, it's a real head scratcher here as to where, where we land on this. But that division could go either way, honestly. Like it's not even worth spending much time talking about because Washington could easily sweep Tri City and remove any issue entirely, or you could easily see Tri City coming up, winning two of three, the miners splitting, and Tri City somehow snatching that top spot. Although I think we did the math on that, and Quebec would hold the tiebreaker. So correct. Yeah. So correct. I mean, yeah, Quebec would hold the tiebreaker. So basically, Quebec needs to win two more games, and then that's all said and done. Yep. All right. And I, I think there's certainly certainly a good chance to get it done. 
kind of hope they get it done because it would be a, it'd, it'd be a really fun story for sure. it, it definitely would be and then uh when we come back next time we'll talk about playoff matchups and everything and we'll finally get to those awards then but we are against the wall when it comes to time so we're gonna have to end this episode off here go to the plugs and get out of here because uh, we both have stuff we need to do within the next 15 minutes so uh and i got a lot of shit i got to do before then so uh we'll go to the plugs and then we'll get out of here if you want to follow the show you can do so on twitter at IndieBallPod. you can do so on instagram at IndieBallReport and at aopb underscore news you can find the show uh, just about wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. Pod, yeah, I don't think Spotify is a thing, but Spotify is, and you can find it there uh, as well as Podomatic and most other major pod catchers. And if you just want to simplify it, just go to the website indieballreport.com for all the episodes that are divvied up by year and interview. So if you want the interviews, that's got its own playlist. If you want just all the episodes from 21 or 20 or 19 or whatever year you want. Uh, it's all right there as well, including show notes too. That's also on the site where you can find the links to everything we discussed today, including all those uh, name the team contests as well. Uh, and with that said, do we have anything else left to add this week? Well, I'll keep it short. Uh, the NFL season is underway. Giants are playing this weekend. Very excited. Hope we can take home the NFC East crown. I'm I'm very hopeful. I've, I've, this is the most the most hopeful I've been for a giant season in a long time. So I'm excited. You know, <clears throat> being hopeful about New York football is never really a positive thing. It's not, but I'm hopeful. Okay. Uh, cautiously optimistic is the word I'll use. I'd go with that too. And uh, I got nothing really to add here. I didn't really think of anything through. Uh, all I will say is. Uh, I didn't realize you were a big Olivia Rodrigo fan. I, I don't consider myself a huge Olivia Rodrigo fan. Good for you, slaps, but you know, I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't name another song. That's brutal. It's brutal out here that you can't name another song. I can't name another song. I have no idea. Well, do you have a driver's license? I oh wait, that is a song. <laughs> it's brutal, is too. But. Hmm. There's been a lot of good outtakes know. in this show. I want to point that out. This has been a good a episode for that. Content-wise, who the hell knows how it's been, but... Yeah, good for you was awesome. It is and a then, fun song. I will say that. It, it's on my Spotify list, so yeah. It is fun. So I, I, don't, I don't know if I could consider myself a huge fan of hers just because yeah. I, I don't want to discredit other Olivia Rodrigo fans who oh. would then accuse me of being a fake fan. Oh, well. Which I don't do get right. that. Like, how, how can you accuse someone of being a fake fan? If you like the music, then you're a fan. It's simple as that. Like, just because I'm not, like, spending life savings money to watch someone perform in person does not make me any less of a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. But, you know what? People that are fans of this show, though, they don't have to pay any money to listen to this show. And thank Not God for that. Otherwise, we probably would have a huge content. dip. Yeah. Free content. And you could tell by the quality of this content. But Absolutely. I know. It's the best thing that money can't buy. Huh. Uh, and on that note, we'll remind you, don't forget to play ball.
You definitely came up with that. Like, no, I did not. Before. I no, swear to God. That was not on the fly. I swear I to care. God. No, that was not. No, 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 no. I no. swear to God. There is nothing in front of me except for my notes, which are only having like the rebrand stuff and the bare bones shit. There is nothing else in front of me besides that and recording equipment. That was sure. literally off the top of my head. Sure. Uh, it's like you can believe what you want to believe, but hey. <laughs>